Well, hey everyone, this is Athena and welcome to the All Things Podcast, where we gather once a week to learn and share stories about how God works all things together, writing a story of good because He is faithful and good. Every Wednesday, I'll be chatting with a friend who I know and respect, one of our Redemption Press authors, who will not only share a personal Romans 8.28 story, but also help to give you tips and tools for your life journey. Two episodes a month, we'll have an additional interview with a well-known author, and the other two episodes will include a time for Insider Insights, where I'll answer publishing questions from our listeners. So hey, Let's get started. Well, welcome to today's episode of the All Things Podcast. I am here today with an amazing author friend, Erica Wiggenhorn, who is the author of a series of Moody Bible Studies. And then during the second half of the episode, you're going to meet Redemption Press author Connie Viner. So before I give a proper introduction, I want to just welcome you to the podcast today, Erica. It's great to have you here. It's so fun to be here with you today, Athena. Amen. We have both just spent the last three days at the Speak Up conference together. So we're a little uh, brain dead. So this ought to be interesting, huh? (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) Before we we let everyone um, see what we mean, let me give you a proper introduction because that may be uh, the best part of the show, right? (laughs) I hope not. (laughs) I hope not. Well, Erica Wiggenhorn is an award-winning author and the founder of Every Life Ministries, bringing you the truths of scripture to transform your life. By digging deeply into God's word, Every Life Ministries encourages you to discover your unique purpose, accept God's promises, and live by his power. Erica is the author of three Bible studies released by Moody Publishers, An Unexplainable Life, The Unexplainable Church, and unexplainable Jesus rediscovering the God you thought you knew. And those are all three through Moody Publishers. Erica serves on the women's ministry leadership team at her church and regularly teaches in various venues. She's also taught women in the Arizona state prison system and overseas. She loves to bring God's word to anyone who will listen whether it's a large women's conference, a church women's retreat, her own kitchen table, or across your computer screen with her teaching a series or on the YouTube channel. A graduate and postgraduate of Azusa Pacific University, Erica lives in Phoenix with her best friend and hubby, Jonathan, and their four children, only two of which are human and the others furry and adorable. Well, Erica, this is kind of deja vu because I had you on before when I had my radio show, Always Faithful. I know, and it was your very last episode. That's right. And that was right after I went to speak up and God had said, you're done. (laughs) And I said, okay. And you were 
Uh, I think we met and interviewed at the International Christian Retail Show, if I remember that right. We did. And now we are at the end of Speak Up Again. <laughs> wow. Full circle, girl. I know. It's like your life story. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, you know, those who normally listen to the podcast know that I usually start with asking you to share your Romans 828 story. And we're going to do something a little different this time because you have so many facets of God working all things together for good as an author, as a mother, as a wife. So we're just going to jump into some questions to let our listeners get to know you. And you're going to have uh, lots of encouragement for all of us that point to what a faithful God we serve and how we really does, even when we don't see it, work all things together for good. So you talk about in your testimony how you struggled with reading your Bible and prayer for many years. So tell us how God worked something that was a source of guilt and shame in your life together for good. Yeah, so it's it's a little ironic now. It's totally a God thing, if you will, that I write and teach the Bible now. I don't write the Bible. I write Bible studies <laughs> and teach uh, through passages of scripture because when I first became a Christian, Athena, my youth pastor set me down. I was in my teens and he said, Erica, if you're going to be a, a Christian, you need to have a daily quiet time. And I was like, a, a quiet time? What, what's a quiet time? I, I had no idea. And if you know me at all, as you do, you know, I don't like to sit still and I don't like to be quiet. So this was not a good news for me. And I remember opening up my Bible and saying to Jesus, how am I supposed to follow you when I can't even understand you? I mean, I grew up in LA. Okay. So you know, skyscrapers and oceans. These are word pictures I can sink my teeth into. I cannot sink my teeth into word pictures about growing wheat and oxen and mustard seeds and plows. I, you know, I've never even been on a farm. So yeah. <laughs> this was, I struggled for years and years and I felt so guilty that I didn't like reading my Bible. And so it would just kind of sit on my nightstand and then I would feel ashamed because I didn't read it. And then when I would finally read it, I would feel ashamed because I didn't understand it. Mm -hmm. And I would hear Christians talk about how, you know, well, I was having my quiet time and the Lord spoke to me about such and such. And I just remember feeling like, man, like I've never had that experience reading my Bible. And it really became a hard thing for me, honestly. And I began to even wonder like, gosh, does, does God really love me? Am I really, am I really a Christian? Maybe I'm not really saved. Do I, am, you know, and it just stirred up so much angst mm. within me. And honestly, I think there are so many Christians out there that they're stuck in that cycle of guilt and shame. And they, you know, I honestly felt like reading the Bible was boring. And it's so ironic to me now that I went through that. And yet 
I wanted to be close to God and I wanted to have a relationship with Jesus and I wanted to know what it looked like to follow him and to fall in love with him. But I struggled so much. And after just years of praying, finally, I joined my very first Bible study. I didn't even know for many years as a Christian that Bible study was like a thing that you could do. Mm -hmm. um, but I went to my very first one and I finally began to make sense of the scriptures as I listened to someone else walk me through them. And as I sat at a table with other women who could share their life experiences with me and what God had taught them through the Bible and something became alive in me and I just fell in love with the Bible. And I realized that I really wanted to help people that had walked that same journey that I had and just felt guilt and shame and just honestly didn't have a desire to read the Bible. I wanted to help the Bible come alive to them as well. And so now here I am writing Bible studies and it's just been a whole Romans 828 moment. And I think that if I hadn't had all of those years of struggling to read my Bible, I'm not sure that I would be able to teach it with the passion and the understanding that I'm able to teach it as a result of going through those years of hardship. Mm. That is just so good how he could take you through that and enable you to keep trying and, and then meet that need so that then you can turn around and meet the needs of others who are starving, but they don't even know it or there's so much shame involved they won't even talk about it because you know you know how christians can be pretty judgy <laughs> yeah i mean for me it was embarrassing i didn't want to i was embarrassed to like go up to somebody and say um so yeah i i'm a christian but yeah i don't ever read my bible because everybody knows well you're supposed to you know you're supposed to do that as a christian and so i i get it i get where people are at and i get the struggle and so it's truly a joy for me mm. when somebody comes back and has gone through one of my studies and they will say things to me like for the first time in my life i feel like i finally understand the bible and I finally feel confident enough to open it up and read it for myself. And then my heart just bursts because I know how that felt in my own life. And the fact that God would allow me to help someone else feel that way is just, it's icing on the cake, man. Mm, super, <laughs> super uber Romans 828. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, okay. So then how has God continued to work things together for good in your latest work? So my latest study, I really wanted to dive in and study the Gospels. And I know that sounds crazy, but for as many years as I had been reading my Bible now, I had never actually studied the life of Jesus, which I know that sounds really weird. And I always, I, it's kind of my life story. I do everything backwards. Okay. <laughs> but I was like, you know, I really want to dive into the gospels. 
And how that first became birthed in me was I had the opportunity to go to Israel, right? Total once in a lifetime bucket list experience. And I'm in Israel for the very first time. And our tour guide is an Orthodox Jew. So he doesn't he did not teach the Bible at all from a Christian perspective. He taught it from a Jewish perspective. And what he did is he took the words of Jesus and he explained them to us from the perspective of his Jewish audience. So he explained to us how first century rabbis taught and how different it is than the way we hear a sermon in America on a Sunday morning. And he explained Jewish figures of speech and Jewish cultural customs and what the Jews believed about their uh, religion and how they followed God in that day and age. And he brought Jesus alive to me in ways I never even imagined and just blew me out of the water. And I remember sitting on the shore of the Sea of Galilee and saying to Jesus in my heart, I wish every one of your followers could experience you like this because it brings you to life in a way I never could have imagined. And I can understand how much you love me, maybe for the first time in my life. And about six months later, I came home, I wrote a book proposal, and I got a contract to write the study Unexplainable Jesus, Rediscovering the God You Thought You Knew. And along with that study, I got to put together a whole photo journal of the places that I had gone in Israel and the things that I had learned from this Jewish teacher and make them really as just a freebie on my website. So it was, it's almost like when people are going through that study, they can experience it exactly the way I experienced it standing on the shores of Galilee and, mm. uh, you, you know, climbing the hills of Judea and the whole gamut. And again, it was just God in his beautiful way, just bringing that whole Romans 8, 28 together and saying, I hear your heart, daughter. I hear your heart that, that you want people to know me and I want to honor that. And so I'm going to give you the desire of your heart and turn this experience into a book. And he did. Wow. Wow. I love that. Um, and just the visual, just for you to be able to add that visual element to it, because some people need that to really be able to wrap their head around it. And oh, so, completely, completely. Wow. Wow. Okay. So we're going to switch gears here a little bit. And I want you to describe for us your darkest moments in your all things journey. Sure. Uh, yeah, not everything has been um, awesome trips to Israel. Wouldn't that be something? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, my darkest moment as a Christian, uh, I have lots of dark moments before I even became a Christian, but my darkest moment once I chose to follow Jesus came about six years into my marriage. 
And at the time, my husband and I realized that we were infertile. And it was a it was a really dark moment for me on a lot of levels, particularly because at that moment in time, I was working as an elementary school teacher. And before that, I had served on staff at a church as a children's ministry director. And so a big chunk of my adult life had been all about children. And the deepest dream and desire of my heart was to become a mom. And when that wasn't going to happen for us in the typical way, I became really upset with God and angry with God and almost felt like the path that he had led me down pouring into children in many ways, it almost felt like a cruel joke. Mm. And I really had to wrestle with the Lord about this dream that he had put in my heart I felt like when he created me and yet it he had a different plan and I had to come to grips with uh, God had a different plan to grow our family mm -hmm. and that was through adoption and God brought us two beautiful beautiful babies uh, through adoption first our daughter and then two not even two years later our son and now that they are 16 and 14, I can't imagine being mom to any other two children besides Eliana and Nathan. Um, God definitely worked it all together for good. Um, but I will be honest and say that there were a couple of years where the cry of my heart, honestly, before the Lord was, if you will not allow me to be a mother, then please just take me home now because I don't want to live the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years on this planet with an, with empty arms and a broken heart. Mm. And um, I, I never would have dreamed what God had in the future for me and for my husband, but he knew. And I think that part of that dark season was realizing that when I would become an author and a Bible teacher and doing the things that I'm doing now, that I would never forget that there are many people that are out there that are really questioning their life and the season they're in. And if God is really good and life sometimes feels like a cruel joke and what goodness is there really for me out there? And I can understand that darkness. And so instead of just always throwing out a spiritual platitude that, oh, don't worry, it's all gonna work together for good. Right. Um, there's oftentimes a very long, dark and lonely valley mm. that we have to trudge through or that God carries us through or drags us through kicking and screaming um, until we get to the other side of that. And I think that's important for us to remember as believers um, because it's easy to forget that life in that dark place. Well, and that's what's going to speak to women who are struggling. I mean, for you to, you know, go to 
Israel and get a book deal and get, you know, I mean, that's not what speaks to people like going through a dark night of the soul. Oh, God, you yeah. know, God coming through on the other end. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, the resurrection didn't happen without the crucifixion first. And there, that's bittersweet. Exactly. You know, I can remember a, a moment standing in front of my coffee pot and just so weary and so depressed and my eyes were just burning. I had been crying all night. And I remember God whispering to me in that moment in the quietness of my heart, him saying to me, if I were to, if I were to give you a son and take that son away, would I be just as good as if I never gave you a son at all? Mm. And I remember just sitting there and saying, God, I know you're good, but I'll be honest, you don't feel good to me right now. I know you're good. I believe you're good, but you don't feel good to me right now. And I remember God saying, I understand your pain because that's, that's what I did for you. Mm. I gave you my son so that you would be able to live. And I remember in that moment, just understanding God's heart a little more deeply. And I remember the moment when Eliana's birth mother first placed her in my arms. And she said, I wanted to be the first one to wish you a happy Mother's Day. Mm -hmm. And as she placed Eliana in my arms just a few days before Mother's Day, I finally understood the gospel story. And I realized that the sacrifice that God gave in giving us his only son so that our hearts could be full and our arms could be full, we could have a purpose in this life, right? Um, that's what God did for us. That's the gospel story. And so when it talks about how we are all adopted as his children and when John in Ephesians and when John talks about how, you know, that, that we are his children, um, it, it just melts my heart because I think of the ache and the angst and the sadness that God went through in watching his son suffer for you and I. Hmm. And, and as a parallel to the birth mom is making yeah. this huge sacrifice because she wants what's better, what's best. Yes. Mm. Yes. Mm. So, so what have you learned through it? Because I mean, I see that how the adoption gives, gave you that better understanding of the gospel, but is there another aspect that kind of came to light as you process through this? Absolutely. One of the things, one of the metaphors that really, I just, really could dive into in scripture is just all of the metaphors of, of darkness and light. Mm. And I think that when you're in that place of just feeling like your dreams have died or you've suffered a major loss, or you're just in a place of confusion and disillusionment, 
for me, it felt like a place of darkness. I couldn't see ahead of me. Uh, what was behind me seemed gone. It, everything just felt empty and dark. And so I love all of the allusions to light and Jesus being the light of the world. But often I, I read the story of Abraham and Sarah and I would say to God, you know, I can't imagine being like Sarah and waiting till you're a hundred before you finally become a mom. Um, no, thank you. No, thank you. But I thought about how when God gave his promise to Abraham, he took him out into the darkness and he showed him all of the stars and how he said, you know, just like the stars in the sky, so shall your offspring be. And I think about how oftentimes, you know, when we're in that dark place, and I know you've been in dark places too, Athena, so you get this, but when you're in that dark place, it seems like the night, the nighttime is just when it gets even darker. Your dark place just gets the bleakest of black. Mm -hmm. And I think, thought about the goodness of God and just thinking about Abraham lying in that tent in that pitch black desert waiting for years for the promises of God to be fulfilled and every time he opened his eyes and looked up what would he see the light of a million stars mm -hmm. in that desert and what I've learned is that you can see the light most clearly when you're in that place of darkness, yep. that's when the light is so visible. That's when the tiniest flicker mm. um, becomes just a flame of hope in your world. And I've realized that God has led me and I'm sure he will again um, with however many years I have left on this planet. When God leads us to dark places, that is when we can see the light of his glory, the most the most clearly. Mm. And he never wastes that dark place. Yep. Um, when he brings us back out into the light, we carry the memory of that darkness and we carry the beauty of that light with us. And it's always for the sake of bringing light to someone else. It's, you know, passing that candle on to the other person who is standing in their dark place. And so what I've learned is that every time God has brought me to something hard, um, something devastating, something painful, it, he always turns around and uses it to bring good, not just to me, but to bring good to somebody else and to bring something beautiful out it out of it and to bring glory to himself. And so I hope that if somebody's listening out there and you're in a place of darkness, I hope that you will hold on to that flicker of light, that God will not waste this, that, mm -hmm. he, that he will do something beautiful. He will bring his glorious light into your darkness and he will fan a flame of beauty that you just can't even wrap your mind around right now. Mm. Well, that, that's a great segue into um, how I want to wrap this up. So for those who are listening, who are in that dark place right now, I would love for you to just share a couple tips or a tip or a tool that will help them just remember 
that he really is working all things together for good, even if it doesn't feel like it. <laughs> even when it doesn't feel good, right? Yep. Um, a couple of tips that I would definitely say is uh, when you are in a dark place uh, or you're in a time of waiting or you're in a time of questioning, community is foundational. Mm. Uh, you need to have other people in your life that are speaking truth into your life, that are encouraging you, that are reminding you who God is and also who you are as his child. Uh, the second thing that I would say is um, these, these places of darkness, these, these sit on the shelf seasons, I call them, uh, we see these over and over in scripture. Uh, where God issues this incredible call on somebody's life or, or this incredible salvation experience. And then he sort of just sort of hits a pause button and puts them in a waiting room. And you kind of scratch your head and go, why does God do that? Uh, and yet that's the way he works. Yep. And during those seasons, he wants to develop an intimacy with you, a friendship with you, a relationship with you that can withstand any season of darkness, any storm, anything that this life could possibly throw at you. And so if you're in one of those seasons, get into the word of God and begin to see how God has repeated this pattern over and over and over in his mighty giants of the faith. And if reading the Bible is a hard thing for you, jump into a Bible study, grab a friend and get a Bible study and go through it together. We weren't meant to figure it all out by ourselves, um, but God's word is, it is that, that light in the darkness, right? The psalmist talks about how your word is a light unto my feet and a lamp unto my path. And so get in that word and don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed. Don't feel guilty. If you've never been in it before and you don't understand it, get a hold of a study, get somebody to, to, uh, walk with you in the, in their writing of that study and help you understand the word. And, and you will see, you will begin to see God's hand at work in your life. Mm. Amen, my friend. Okay. So if we have some people listening right now who are like, I want to connect with Erica, where's the best place for them to do that? The best place for them to do that, they can find just about anything and everything about me on my website, which is just my name, uh, ericawigginhorn.com. And they can find links to uh, social sites. They can find an email address to contact me via email, uh, read blog posts, watch YouTube videos, order books, whatever. All that good stuff. <laughs> All that stuff. Awesome. All the things. Yes. Well, my friend, it has been a joy to have you on today and just do this little full circle thing and um, <laughs> pray that he continues to bless your ministry. And so what, what are you working on? I mean, what is your next, just, I know this was not normally where I go at the end, but what are you working on now? So what I am working on now is my very first nonfiction book. Ooh. I've only done study. So this is my very first nonfiction book. 
and it walks through the life of Moses and how we overcome our fear of inadequacy and feeling like we're not enough. Nice. Now, okay, so we're going to be on the lookout for that. Do we have a, a publication date? Uh, the tentative publication is September of 21. Nice. Well, I, that sounds like it's going to be a great read, and I'm excited for you to make that jump from doing Bible studies to now doing another, another genre, so I'm sure it'll be amazing. So thank you again, my friend, for taking your time out of your crazy busy schedule to be with us today on the All Things Podcast. Well, thank you for having me, and God bless you and this podcast and all of the incredible work that's happening at Redemption Press. It's so exciting to see all of these new authors and uh, speakers coming through your ministry. So please keep up the good work. Amen. In May, God gave me a vision of a movement. He gave me the name She Writes for Him, and I knew it would start as a book compilation, then a podcast, and finally a conference. Well, here we are a year later, and She Writes for Him, Stories of Resilient Faith, launched on May 12th, featuring Carol Kent, Tammy Trent, and Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith, along with 27 brave women who shared their hard stories of abortion, depression, betrayal, loss, and shame, and declared how God worked redemption in their lives. The second edition is finalizing submissions, and best-selling author Liz Curtis-Higgs leads the lineup of contributors sharing on suffering, cancer, mental health, addictions, and spiritual abuse for She Writes for Him, Stories of Living Hope. This very podcast launched in February of this year, declaring the faithfulness of God in working all things together for good. And when we had to cancel our in-person She Writes for Him writing retreat in April, we hosted the first 21-day She Writes for Him boot camp online and helped take 40-plus women from concept to manuscript blueprint through 90-minute interactive virtual workshops, daily writing tips, and multiple coaching sessions. As the pandemic continued to interrupt our spring and summer conference plans, God birthed the conference I knew would be, but had no idea it would look like this. A virtual conference with three full days and 33-plus publishing professionals found 400 hungry attendees waiting and ravishing in the wisdom and the love that was poured out through the presenters. We've rescheduled the retreat for this September and still have a few slots open and another boot camp is scheduled for October. And we've initiated the She Writes For Him tribe, a monthly membership online where you can learn your writing craft, network, grow, and have a safe place to develop your voice with other sisters who love the Lord. Join the many women finding their writing identity through the She Writes For Him movement at SheWritesForHim.com. 
Welcome to the second segment of today's podcast of all things. I'm here with Connie Viner, author of Amaryllis Journey and Rested Soul, Resilient Heart. So Connie, before I give a proper introduction, welcome to the All Things Podcast. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. So Connie was raised in Kansas, has lived in Arizona, California, Missouri, Massachusetts, and uh, currently in New Hampshire. She has two adult children and three grandchildren, is a former secondary education teacher and tutor. In recent years, she has been self-employed as a part-time contracted court reporter, but has been furloughed since March due to COVID. Connie's purpose in writing is to encourage women by reassuring them of God's love and faithfulness, especially in times of brokenness and disappointment. And let me tell you a little bit about the two books she has written. Amaryllis Journey is an emotional tale of one woman's struggle to move out of the pain and insecurity of marital betrayal and divorce and into the light of God's grace. Her new life is facilitated by a wise friend who has been where she is and knows that what is broken is not useless and what is bare can bloom again. Her first book, Rested Soul, Resilient Heart, Finding Hope in the Storms of Abuse and Betrayal, is an eight-week prayer and Bible study to help women find victory following the aftermath of these relationships. Now, just a few other items of note. Connie founded a ministry for abuse victims, which utilized original curriculum in support groups. She has experienced as a volunteer advocate for victims of domestic violence. As a Bible teacher, she has taught precept courses, facilitated community Bible study groups, and led various studies in local churches. She also serves on the team of Renew, that is a retreat for New England uh, writers and speakers, and she is a graduate of Speak Up, which is where I met her. Uh, she speaks conference and the Asheville Christian Writers Conference. She holds a BS in education from the University of Kansas and an MS in business management from the University of Redlands, California. So, Connie, what I would love to have you share, we all have lots of Romans 8.28 stories, but I would just love to have you just share one of your most significant Romans 8.28 stories with us so our listeners can get to know you just a little bit better. Okay, well, um, God has proven his faithfulness uh, in my life many, many times. Hmm. Um, but recently, after my divorce, um, which my, my um, I had a 30-year marriage, and it ended because of domestic violence. Hmm. But during the 30 years, I, I never gave up hope, and I continued to pray that my marriage would be healed. But that was not to happen. Um, even after... Um, and during separations, uh, I still was optimistic and, and through counseling and so forth. Um, but it all came crashing down um, one day. And my daughter was home from college during Christmas break and witnessed the assault. So the two of us fled to my son and daughter-in-law's condo. 
And um, because of a complicated and lengthy divorce process and multiple hearings, I was not allowed back in my home after I left. I couldn't collect any personal items. I didn't have access to checking or savings accounts. Without the help of my son, I would have been homeless. He had not been married very long and had a nine month old um, son. Um, but he was gracious enough and his wife was gracious enough to take me in and he built a room for me in the basement. Wow. And looking back, even though it was a difficult time, I realized that that was a wonderful blessing for me because I got to spend so much time with my, my first grandson, who, as I said, was nine months old at the time. And then after all of the hearings, I was allowed to recover my possessions and my assets. And one of the greatest um, redemption uh, things that came out of that was my daughter was a nursing major at the time and she was a senior. But because of what we had experienced, she felt God was calling her into social work to help abuse children. So in the middle of her senior year, she changed her major was able to continue and get her master's degree, and she's now a licensed social worker, um, helping to keep children safe. So mm -hmm. some very good things came out of, of um, the pain, yeah. and that has God has just done that for me many, many times throughout my life. Mm. I love how he can take something as devastating as that and work good through it, giving your daughter the opportunity to, you know, minister and to protect children and to, I mean, the, the lives that have been touched now by that ministry, who, who knew? You know, how, <laughs> you go through things like that and go, how could anything good come out of this? But you know, well, it was very dark at one point, and and then just little by little, God started shining His light in areas that only He could do, and it was so apparent that He was doing a work. He was working things for good, and um, and I just praise Him for that. Amen. Amen. Well, I'll have to. I have to tell you, I absolutely just could not put Amaryllis journey down. It was one of those. I, I just couldn't stop. I wanted to know what was going to happen. And I saw myself on so many different pages. And so first, let's just jump in and tell us what compelled you to write your latest book, Amaryllis Journey. Well, my life verse is Romans 12, 12. Uh, I came to the Lord in 1978, a long time ago. And shortly after that, um, I found that verse and I just claimed it as my, as my life verse. And that is be joyful in hope, patient in affliction and faithful in prayer. Mm. So I've experienced a lot of loss and disappointment in my life. And it's the second part of that verse that's been difficult for me to walk out the patient in affliction and difficulties. Mm -hmm. But several years ago, I developed three practices which have helped me immensely. I'm a journaler. And so um, I started um, praying the scriptures, especially the promises in Psalms. Mm -hmm. And the second uh, practice was to um, intentionally recall God's faithfulness. Mm -hmm. Regardless of what I was going through at that time, I was looking for his faithfulness and seeking it. And when we look for God's faithfulness, we will find it, even though 
it, it could be a very dark time. And the third practice was listening to his voice because when we go through difficulties, we have a lot of voices in our head mm -hmm. and they're not all good voices. And so praying the scriptures, recalling God's faithfulness and listening to his voice, those practices have helped me through a very long, a very uh, difficult times. So I incorporated those in my first book. Uh, that's part of the, um, of the, the format of the book that, that was used um, in support groups for victims of domestic violence. And then after the book was published, I really wanted to convey the same message in a novel and I didn't know how to do it. <laughs> um, but I had this idea in my head of an older godly mentor who would speak wisdom and truth into the life of a young woman in crisis. So um, in Amaryllis Journey, Rose is the mentor and Shannon is the mentee, but she really doesn't come to that realization um, right away. That's a process. Hmm. Well, and I love that knowing now more about your journey, I love seeing you and your experiences throughout that story and just in very subtle ways that, uh, and, and that's the beauty of fiction and being able to um, use those dark times and those experiences to work through characters in, in a novel. True. <laughs> Mm -hmm. I, I've learned that just recently. <laughs> wow. So what, tell us the meaning of the title, Am Amaryllis Journey. Well, Rose operates a floral shop that is named the Amaryllis. And um, Shannon arrives in, in a new town um, after her divorce. And she's feeling ugly and useless because of rejection and betrayal. So she volunteers in Rose's shop on weekends because she wants to keep busy um, to help with the, the painful memories. And she also wants to meet people in the small town. So Rose uses the illustration of an amaryllis bulb to encourage Shannon in her struggles. And, and if you've seen um, the bulb after the flower has faded, it's, it is pretty ugly. It looks dead, actually. There are a lot of little pieces that, that just look totally dead. So in one conversation, Shannon tells Rose, I'm going to quote this. She says, I kind of feel like this ugly bare bulb right now. I'm not blooming. I'm just trying to survive. Honestly, right now, I feel like maybe I'll never bloom again. Not soon, not ever. And then Rose replied, we all feel that way at times. She picked up the bulb and held it. And she said, this bulb has everything inside it that it needs to bloom. And God has placed everything in your heart that you need to bloom beautifully again. It's part of our created DNA, so to speak. We are more resilient when we realize, excuse me, we are more resilient than we realize, especially when we trust in the strength of the Lord. So the journey of the Amaryllis is to find the inner beauty that God has placed in each one of us, regardless of our circumstances. No matter how ugly the outside is, right? and those circumstances are. Um, well, I'll, I'll tell you, I was just 
smitten with the story of the ex-husband coming into the scene with Shannon and her wanting to believe the best. And wow, I mean, that just sparked so many discussions. My husband and I were, you know, having these incredible discussions that ended up on two different Facebook lives because when people are not healthy or when they're kind of manipulators or abusers, which Andrew seemed very clearly to be, um, you know, you never really get a true apology or any godly sorrow. It's just kind of, they say whatever they have to say just to get out of, you know, feeling guilty for the moment. Right. That's very true. And I love how you brought that character in and, and had that tension there, but it just, it showed, it made it so much easier as reading that story to be able to see in other people, in real situations, to be able to see that and learn from it. And I just love how you did that. You did a great job at that. And you know, when you go, when you're around people that are not healthy and that are abusers in whether they're verbal abusers or physical abusers or, or whatever, um, boy, they know how to manipulate and, and how to get what they want. And we need, we need to not be so gullible. Well, and also we need to learn, um, when we've been victimized, we learn how to resist staying in that victimized mentality. And um, so learning a little bit about the manipulation and the techniques of a narcissistic person is helpful. And it's, it's imperative, actually, if we're going to move forward and not continually be be victimized. And, um, you know, I, I when I meet with um, victims, um, it's, it's very obvious that there's denial, there's uh, fanciful thinking. And, I, and as Christians, we want to believe the best in someone. So there's that conflict with, I want to believe what he's saying, but his actions don't line up to it. So that's, that's one of the things that I was trying to show in the character of Andrew. Absolutely. And, you know, the one thing that's, that's hard for those of us in the church, you know, we're taught to forgive. Yeah. And oftentimes we get bad advice from pastors or from people in leadership that, you know, tell us to just, well, if you forgive, then you go back into that situation and you don't, and, and forgiveness and trust are two different things. Exactly. And we forgive for, our, for ourselves so that we, right. can, but we have to have healthy boundaries. And um, if you don't, if, if the healthy boundaries aren't set, then the, the manipulation continues. So, and we can feel guilted into allowing them to continue to abuse because, you know, we haven't gotten a healthy uh, understanding of what forgiveness is and what it isn't. Forgiveness is a non-negotiable trust has to be earned exactly yeah and and when trust is broken and and especially if it's very is severely broken it is very difficult to get that back and it's it's not just some it's not just automatically uh um given um it has to be earned 
Absolutely. And unfortunately, manipulators had figured out that they can say, I'll never do it again. And they'll be believed. And then, you know, it's just a cycle that continues on and on and on where, you know, words don't really mean anything. It's the action that's going to mean something. Exactly. Yeah. The cycle of abuse has to, has to be broken in order for there to be um, change and healing. Yeah. You, you can't, you can't completely heal if you're still in that cycle uh, of abuse. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the biggest steps that can be taken that, sh that will show real godly sorrow and real desire to change is if they're willing to go get counseling and they're willing to do the hard work, which is usually what they're not willing to do. Right. <laughs> you know, well, there, there are some wonderful examples of redemption and in healed marriages. And that's wonderful. That's the goal always. Right. But it can't be at the expense of, of the victim. You know, there can't be, can't be uh, re-victimization exactly. because of that. And mm -hmm. so, you know, my heart is, is always with, with the victim to first of all, make sure that they have a safety plan, that they, they can remain safe, that they understand if there are any dangers. And, you know, I tried to bring that a little bit uh, out a little bit in the book with another character to, to show that, but, right. um, and then also I would just say that um, there's a term secondary wounding, and that is when uh, well-meaning people, and oftentimes it's, it's Christians or it's family members or somebody in the church, um, will really imply that um, if you just prayed more, <laughs> if mm. he just went to more Bible study, or, you know, if you went to marriage counseling, things would be better. And marriage counseling is never recommended when there is um, abuse and, and domestic, domestic violence, because that's just another uh, way for, for re-victimization. Re it's, it's, it might not be at the session, but there's going to be a price to pay afterwards because um, abusers don't want the secrets out. So if those, if things are revealed, that just causes a problem. So um, we have to be really careful when we're talking to somebody that's been in an abusive relationship or still is that, that we don't create secondary wounding, you know, mm -hmm. to heap, heap on more um, shame or um, a sense of failure on their part because that's not, that's not what should happen. So, okay. So let, let me um, ask you this then. What kind of counseling do you, does a person need to demand the abuser get in order to actually believe they're going serious about changing? Well, they need to make sure that the counselors um, are trained in the dynamics of abuse. And, um, you know, the, usually it's better for the woman to have a counselor and the man to have a counselor. But there are several ministries out there for men that, um, you know, call them to account and, it, and not just make it a situation where he comes in, says he's sorry, wants to go back like, you know, nothing ever happened. There have to be steps that, that are taken. And, um, and some, someone who is trained in the dynamics of abuse will be able to see if they're being manipulated. <laughs> right. Because the counselor can even be manipulated. So um, that's one thing that isn't totally understood in the church. A lot of churches will um, send a couple to marriage counseling where there's been um, domestic violence occurring, and that isn't, isn't very helpful. 
That is the truth. And uh, we need, we need wisdom because a lot of times the church inadvertently will shame the victim and actually bolster the abuser just in the way they deal with it. That's true. And then when there are children involved, um, you know, the, the mother is very concerned about the welfare of the children and sometimes will stay in a relationship um, just because she doesn't want the the family to um, disintegrate and that and and that's that's a, a good thing but you have to also ask the question you know are the children being damaged emotionally by this and that's where a counselor that's trained in the dynamics of abuse would be able to sort all of that out you know the whole family dynamics exactly okay good 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 Okay, so what do you hope that readers will take away from Am Amaryllis' journey? <laughs> well, um, Rose, um, in addition to sharing uh, with Shannon about the, the uh, Amaryllis bulb, she repurposes broken items in her shop. It's a floral shop. And so she um, takes broken pots and, and other items and she... Um, conceals the the uh, the cracks and the breaks with um, sea glass or pieces of jewelry that other people uh, in the town bring in for her and she turns them into beautiful beautiful use, useful works of art that um, showcase the flowers so it's kind of an unusual situation um, because all of her floral arrangements go out of her shop in in a once broken pot so her goal is to bring beauty from the broken and to prove that I like those pots. We have chips and cracks, but we never diminish God's glory. And so she says at one point in the book, we are perfect imperfections through God's grace. Our imperfections showcase his power and redeeming love. And um, I know that I, I know when I am, talking to women who, who have been in abusive situations, um, I am honored that because of my brokenness and what I went through, I can offer hope to someone else. So by reading the book, I, I hope that the readers will realize that with God's strength, um, they are more resilient than they imagine. And uh, when they identify with Shannon, if they're going through loss or disappointment, but also I hope they identify with Rose mm. and they can be a source of encouragement and share godly wisdom to the ones that are hurting. Amen. Amen. So do you have another book in mind? <laughs> um, well, I do, but it's in the very beginning stages. It's, the working title is Blueberry Bungalow. And it's a story uh, of a woman, Macy, who is a widow and she believes that her joy and artistic talent died also when she buried her husband. So mm -hmm. she questions her faith and she actually becomes angry with God for taking him. Um, she decides she's going to change her life. So she leaves uh, the coast of Maine where her art studio was and she purchases an old um, restored cottage in the woods that's surrounded by wild blueberry bushes. So that's where the title comes from. Mm -hmm. But gradually, she wants to try her art again. She was a painter. So she starts to convert one bedroom into an art studio. 
And as she does, because this, is, this was a very old building and it had a couple of other lives before she purchased it, she finds some items that are hidden in the wall um, that were placed there by occupants spanning two centuries. Um, it, the, uh, the cottage was at one time a general store and it had a post office in there. So there are some letters that got lost in the building that never got mailed. And there are some other, other interesting artifacts that she finds in there and also some handwritten notes. And as she begins to read the notes, she, um, she identifies with their struggles and their losses and realizes that um, they, ha they had to find an inner strength in order to survive what they were going through. So that helps her deal with her own grief and anger. And then as she starts to heal, she reconstructs some of their stories into her artwork and she paints what, how she envisions some of these stories um, unfolded. So sh she starts to look for uh, distant relatives of these people and she makes new friendships. Um, one man captures her heart, but another person uh, does not want one of the secrets revealed and he becomes threatening. So um, Macy learns that sometimes the past can change the future. Nice. Good, good. Well, okay, so we're gonna wrap up here. Um, in closing, I would just love for you to share a tip or a tool to, just to help our listeners kind of zero in on how God really is continually working all things together for good, even when we can't see it. Okay, well, um, my, my tips would be, first of all, study the Bible. And if you're going through hard times, camp out in the Psalms. Mm. Um, identify with, with David and some of the other, other struggles. There's so much honesty in the Psalms. Every emotion that we experience in difficult times is, is written in the Psalms. So study the, study the word and then um, journal and pray, pray God's promises. Um, listen for his voice so, that, so you make the right decisions. But always look for his faithfulness because um, Rose says in the book, there's always something to be thankful for. Mm. And finally, comfort others. Um, in 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, um, God is our merciful father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort that God has given us. Amen. Amen. Good word. That is, uh, it's such a redeeming part of, you know, whatever we go through when we're able to be real with other people and let them see our struggles, but also to see that God has redeemed them. And that is a, an encouragement to those who are going through it now. Absolutely. So if we have some listeners who would like to find you online or on social media, what's the best place to find you? Um, ConnieViner.com and it's K-O-N-N-I-E, V as in Victor, I-N-E-R.com. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. It's just been a joy to have you on and uh, just may God continue to bless your story ideas that communicate important stuff. Thank you. And I, I appreciate the opportunity, Athena. You bet. 
So thanks for joining us today for the All Things Podcast, brought to you by Redemption Press and the Romans 828 Bookstore. So hey, I'd like to ask you a favor. If you would consider sharing this episode with your friends on social media, of course, only if you thought it was helpful, Or if you haven't yet left a review of the podcast on Apple, I would really appreciate it as, you know, it'll help other people find the show and let them know it really is a good one to listen to. So thank you so much for listening today and I'll see you next week.